had a big head, rounded ears, six feet in the body maybe, with a very, very long tail, very muscular build. As it was walking, it was, it was still looking at me, and that's when I really panicked. It looked at me and thought, oh, oh, there's a human there, I'm not scared. You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. I heard this growl behind me. Nothing like a dog scream. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine. As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail. She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling. It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round. But when you actually realise that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen, and could these cats even be naturalising without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com. You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello everyone and welcome to the show and this show is going to be a bit different from some of the others you've heard so far because we've just got the one guest so we're going to have an extended conversation and we're sitting with Frank Tunbridge who's based in Gloucester not far from me and Frank is somebody who takes a lot of reports like I do so I swap notes with him regularly. But today we're going to swap notes with him and get his perspective, he's the guest so we're going to get his reports, his reflections on reports he's received over the years, but also some of his own sightings. He's had sightings himself, which of course really helps the understanding of the subject. Now, if you Google Frank Tunbridge, Gloucester, Frank Tunbridge, Big Cat Sightings, you'll come up very quickly with a number of entries on the web with Frank in local papers. He's often used as somebody who comments on sightings reports to the press um, nationally and especially locally here in Gloucestershire. The terms of labelling used for Frank are very interesting, and, and, and I um, experienced this myself. The media never know whether to call you an expert or an enthusiast, which sounds a bit patronising, or a tracker or whatever. So in a way, bits of all of those are correct, but none of them seems right. But I'm just going to introduce him as somebody who's got bags of experience of speaking to witnesses and understanding and appreciating the emotions they receive when they um, experience a big cat. So that's what we're going to try and really probe in this next hour with Frank. But um, before we get some of his reflections on those big cat encounters, we want to hear one or two of his own. So Frank, thanks for coming on the show. And could you maybe think about one of the most memorable report uh, encounters you've had yourself and take us through it? Well, over the years, really, I haven't had all that many because these cats are so elusive, so secretive. And they're generally dusk and dawn creatures, late afternoon as well, generally. 
But um, I've seen a couple crossing the road. Um, I've had a couple of close-up encounters. The best idea to judge these is is the sort of um, the movement and behaviour of the creature, which shows that it's a wild animal and not a domestic cat. And you can tell by their movement, and exactly like a fox or a badger or any wild animal in this country, it's their um, their movement, the behaviour, and and their reaction to people nearby. I saw one crossing the road some years ago when I was coming back late one evening um, from Stroud and this was on um, going towards Painswick and and funnily enough, ironically, there's a place called Cat Brain Quarry which is just down the road and um, it's about 10, 30, 11 at night, about 30, 40 yards ahead, suddenly this big, quite chunky black cat came out um casually crossed the road at a, at a trot got to the bank and in one sort of bound up in the bank and gone now you could tell by its movement it has been feral wild quite a while i should think living out there quite successfully which they all do due to the amount of wildlife and the prey species that they've got at hand um so encounters like this quite good you don't often come across them you just have to be in the right place at the right time which i was and like many people are if i'd have been 15 20 seconds before i would have missed it and same afterwards so it's ironical that um, these 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 occurrences happen just where you are at the right time that was quite a good one uh, another particular one is where i sat out um, to watch for a big cat after a report what i did to attract it i put some bait out um, even if they're not hungry, the smell of it, uh, or the look of it, it must attract them, and they come to investigate. And this one was quite a good one. I could see it in quite detail. Now, contrary to popular belief and opinion, a lot of these big cats are not that big. They're not the size of large leopards or big, massive 300-pound pumas a lot of the time. Most of the sightings that I get and I come across, generally sort of Labrador, maybe even small German Shepherd dog size. But, and they're quite slim and athletic, and fit looking which they would be because they're living wild unlike um, leopards pumas and other bigger cats that you see in zoos which are almost like couch potatoes and they just get fed they sit there lays around all day they lose all their muscle mass this sort of thing and actually um it's probably they're not very sharp in their brain power either because they don't have to use it so you can tell a wild animal straight away now this encounter i was just going to tell you about where i sat out the other side of stroud and a lady I know had actually seen this big cat on a couple of occasions coming down this field. So I thought, okay, so I sat up there about 7 o'clock, it's September I believe it was. So it's just getting dark around about quarter to eight. So I sat up there and I put some old army scrim I had over me as a um, camouflage sort of thing. And I just sat there and waited. I heard there's a little copse on the left. So what I did, I, I had a, a rabbit, which is about a week old and smelt quite a bit and a dead seagull, which I found on the road. So I put them in the actual place where this cat had been seen. Didn't think I'd get anything or see anything. But anyway, I sat there and waited, dead quiet. Now, that's the main thing about watching wildlife, not only big cats, any wildlife. You've got to stay still and quiet. Movement, sound is the main thing. And also, you've got to note the wind as well, because wild animals live on the wind. They smell you. Um, so you have to make, the, make sure the wind's blowing in the right direction if you can. So anyway, I sat waited and all of a sudden some foxes 
started this whickering noise which they make which when they do when they're quite nervous or whatever yapping and, and whickering sound i looked out and i had a um a camcorder with me but it wasn't a night vision one i didn't have one at the time and i had a bit large pair of binoculars um so i looked at the foxes through binoculars these foxes are making a hell of a racket i thought well, something's frightening them and i could see them coming up looking going back coming up and they're looking at the bait they obviously wanted to go for this um, this rabbit and the, and the seagull something was putting them off it wasn't dark then just enough light maybe for the camcorder to to use so i was hoping it appeared then suddenly <clears throat> on the left where i was sitting there's a copse of uh, trees going down towards the road anyway all of a sudden there's hell of a racket all the crows and uh harassing something and making hell of a noise in the actual um, cops up there I thought it's obviously some predator has disturbed them so I sat there and watched and I kept my eyes on this on the bait lo and behold suddenly um this cat I should say slim small Labrador size jet black came in one movement it came it what it had been doing it had come up from where the foxes were making this um this racket on the right and they were obviously following it but frightened of it keeping their distance and letting everyone else know that there's a big predator there and it worked its way it worked its way from that side using one of the counters of the hill which they do they use every feature which is obviously wild animals do not to be um seen and then suddenly um i think it, it realized i was there dashed across i should say what four seconds three seconds went down grabbed the rabbit and just with two three more sort of strides it was back in the wood and gone but the strange part about it was i don't see it now the actual gate it used was not a running or leaping gate which they do generally when they're going across a road this was almost like a cantering sort of movement like a horse does the two front legs were coming down sort of together it's very like a cantering sort of gate very casual and in one movement, it swept down, took the rabbit. Oh, that is quite an amazing sight to see that. Of course, too late to take a photograph. It's getting just getting too dark. Um, <clears throat> so I continued to sit there and wait. And um, I thought, well, I might see it again. I might not. Anyway, nothing. It all suddenly went quiet then. Until I heard this growl behind me. Now, this is by that time, maybe about 11.30 at night. And nothing like a dog's growl. A sort of ominous sort of a warning growl. A sort of... Like that. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't matter. I don't care who you are, how brave you are, whatever you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine. And I can felt the hair on the back of your neck. Right, I knew what it was. It was this cat going round the back. Knew I was there. And was giving me a sort of warning, say, look, get out of my territory sort of thing. So I'm not going to move. So I just left it. And then next thing I heard was once again, these foxes down the bottom, it's obviously gone down there, took the rabbit with it, or I don't know, started their racket up again. So you could follow, and this is the best way, follow predators by other wildlife, by the calls they make, the crows, magpies, foxes, anything like that. So that is quite an amazing experience, actually. That must be the best one I've had. Splendid. How far away do you think the cat was from you when it gave you that warning growl? Well, considering where I sat, I would say five yards. 
that close, mm. and you didn't hear it behind you. You didn't hear any movement. No, you don't. They're so secretly stealthy. Cats are cats. They got sort of padded velvet paws, and so that's how nature's made them. Yeah, yeah, that's great timing, uh, Frank, because we're in an earlier episode uh, speaking to Corin, and so people can, um, if they haven't heard that, and th- this is uh, the cat that's um, seen several times and filmed once by. Corin um, in the Stroud area, and I know you helped with that whole right, saga. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll hear directly from Corin in uh, um, one of the earlier episodes. So mm. um, this is a sort of little bit of supplementary yeah, um, right. yeah. experience from that whole saga. Great. Thank you very much, Frank. So we'll now go on to the reports that you have um, received over the years and sort of reflect on some of the highlights. But before we do that, can we just go back to the nature of the cats? You said they walk like they've got velvet gloves and um, they've got this um, stealthy mode. Um, in each episode, we have a word of the week. The word this um, for this episode is one that you uh, introduced to me and I've always thought how useful it is to start thinking about the nature of the cats and that is digitigrade. Yeah. Now, can you you can save me two minutes by explaining it yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Well, basically, in mammals, digitigrade and uh, plantigrade, that's the two main ones. You get deer, which ungrade. Un- yeah. But I won't go hoofed, for deer, yeah. hoof, hoofed mammals. But the two um, amongst the, the carnivorous animals, or omnivorous as well, um, you get the digitigrade, and that means walking on their toes, not on the flat and not on the heel not on the hill yeah yeah, like we do yeah Yeah, like we do we're plantigrade humans the great apes are plantigrade give you another example bears are plantigrade wolverines and all the weasel families are plantigrade okay um badgers especially are plantigrade of course they haven't got the speed um like an animal that walks on its toes a wolf fast runner a cheetah all the big cats, they walk on their toes, you see. Um, even though they, they've got a back pad that comes down, the actual elbow is much higher up, you see. Right? Mm. And, of course, if you're an ambush predator, that you're on your, you're on your tiptoes. All basically. the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, they, can get, they use it for the speed. Um, the less contact with the ground. I mean, you, you never see a badger doing sort of like 40 miles an hour. Simple as that. Or bears are quite lumbering, even though they can go quite fast. So plantigrade is the whole sole and the digits going down flat, Imagine our foot, and then imagine us, humans, walking or tiptoeing on our toes, like a ballet dancer or something like this, you see, or sprinters running on their toes and get much more speed out of it because there's less contact with the ground. And so cats are digitigrade as well. But as opposed to the dog family, canines, cats, felids, are um, they walk their way through life most of the time. They don't exert energy unless they have to sure <clears throat> whereas dogs run their prey down wolves dogs other animals run their prey down generally mostly by um by their stamina by just running and running miles and miles the animal gets exhausted and they pull it down generally as a pack whereas cats use their quietness their pads almost if, you, if you've got a domestic cat you only got to, when it's relaxed open its pad look at its paw and press its actual the hind pad of it and it's almost like pressing a jelly. It's very supple, and it and it jumps back into shape, and so it's quiet when it puts it down. If you've got a dog, you only got to look at your dog's pads, and they're rough, 
very rough and, and hard because the dog's running all the time on hard ground. If it had um, soft pads like a cat, it would rip them to pieces. So the nature of the animal is matched to its environment, the prey, and the mode of hunting, if you see what I mean. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. And, and it's also noticeable looking at a cat's foot and a cat's pads. The pads are so well tucked within the bigger foot. It's like um, the foot is almost a third bigger than, than the, the, um, the scope of the pads. And I find a lot of witnesses mention how uh, they, they, they sort of comment like it was padding or it, had, it seemed to have big feet, or proportionately big feet, which is, which is correct. That's how cats are. It is. One way of looking at it, because not only big cats, I've been studying wildlife since I was a child, and I find it so fascinating. And you have to, to study one animal, a carnivore, you have to study, to understand it, you have to study the carnivore's prey, and vice versa. If you're looking at the prey species, you have to look at the, car- at the predator. And you find with um, the cats, they've got this um, very stealthy mode going along on their pads. And within their pad, um, you've got... You've got that at the back pad. And then, of course, the, the claws are um, sheathed. Because if they had them out all the time, obviously, they do use them pulling down prey, of course, to hold the prey. Scratching trees or when they're coming down from a tree, they do use Even in uneven ground, you sometimes come across claw marks. And a lot of people dismiss it and say, oh, that's a dog, that's a dog. Because we all know dogs walk with their claws out. But no, the way to do it, which i always done, um, apart from looking at the pads itself, they're very almost like standing knives going into the ground. Razor sharp. Dogs don't get pads on. Dogs' um, claws are very blunt. They no need to be sharp at all. They don't have to hold their prey when they're pulling it down. And, in, and also the deepness of them. Dogs' claws only just touch the ground, maybe going a centimetre, if that. If I find a, a pad mark when I'm out looking, which I think is very suspect, what I'd do is get a blade, a very thin blade of grass or straw, which is nearby, and gently drop it into the claw mark and see how far down it goes. And then you can pull it out, and if it's like over three centimetres or more, it's got to be a cat which made that mark, you see. The other thing, I could go on quite a lot about Like a pinprick drawn into the ground. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Um, And, of course, there's other features, like most cats cats have got a leading toe. They've got a trilobe um, rear pad, and this distinguishes from dogs. But overall... The, the digits, the four digits they got on there, the fifth one is like the dew claw, which sure. doesn't make any effect, it's up higher. The four digits on the front are generally much wider spread, and they're much more mobile. Once again, I refer to a domestic cat and a dog, which is a good example, because, you, you know, unless you can go to a big cat and try to look at its paws, which you won't, um, um, you can look at your domestic cat. For all cats, the same virtually in their behaviour and their uh, structure, from a, from a tabby up to a tiger. If you look at a, um, a domestic cat's paws, and I we had a cat some some years, a lovely cat, and it used to sleep on our bed, and it used to wrap its wrap. She it used to wrap itself around my forearm, and he used to get a hold of my thumb, and he used to sort of, and it felt like a monkey. It's so mobile, the the the, pad, the pads are the digits so mobile. The dogs don't do that. Dogs dogs are static on there. They're not that mobile. You see, you don't need to, or you can use it for his running. Um, and you make the point that um, you shouldn't dismiss a, a paw print, a footprint um, no. impression if it has potential claw marks because yeah, you know, yeah. they, they will. And certainly old ca- older cats can have their claws um, dis- uh, displayed sometimes. Well, yeah, maybe. But um, 
what happens 90 95 90 percent of the time cats will because it's the tools of the trade you think about it mm. they've got to be razor sharp to hang on to and pull down prey if they were blunt well cheetahs cheetahs uh, don't really need the claws they generally trip them up and pull them down mm. as you see on these nature on these uh, wildlife programs while we're on this sort of behavior of the cats there's one other bit of background info that i wouldn't mind you spending a couple of minutes on and that is um Jim Corbett's books. I mean, it's always nice to recommend literature and reading for people. And I, yeah, yeah. You, I know um, you and other people um, like to promote Jim Corbett's work. Now, there are some um, viewpoints that he might have exaggerated and embellished some of his reports, but his books were sort of in the 1940s, 1950s, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, 40s, 50s. From India about leopards yeah. and yeah. leopards and mm. tigers. Yeah, and man-eaters. He was employed by the government and sent there because they had such a spate of man-eating tigers and, le- and leopards. And he's very good. He was brought up in India, so he knew, knew the jungle right from the very start. It's no good knowing, just concentrating on one species, as I said. You have to understand, know the calls, the sounds, uh, the distress notes, the warning notes, the birds, of, of everything. Yeah, all the ecosystem. All the, yeah, yeah, all the whole lot. And then it all match in. Then you can know, you can actually see, you can paint a picture in your mind what's up ahead without even seeing it before you get there. You see? And that's what Corbett used to do, is the monkeys and the, and the birds and all these animals. And he was very good. And the patients, he would wait and wait. And he said, he, wit- he pitted his wits against some of these uh, man-eating leopards especially. He said, he said um, the leopards, from, leopards are much more, they're much more cleverer than tigers. He said the leopard was, as it was that much smaller, it could go into places where tigers wouldn't go. It's more, um, just like you do nowadays, you get urban leopards in India and Mumbai, etc., as we know, and come in and take the dogs. And people don't even know they're there until they find them on camera, get them on camera, or see the results their dog or their, or their cats or their goats disappeared, this sort of thing. And at one point, to emphasise how stealthy, secretive, quiet, and how even... The animal seems to be like a, a spirit. The native people said to him, you would never catch it. This animal is a spirit. It's not real. It's not physical. And so he thought to himself, he spent months trying to get his leopard. It avoided traps. It avoided poison baits. It avoided him waiting up for it. He said how it came and walked over. Um, he put down a load of dead, dry leaves, he said. And he heard a, a lizard scuttle across these leaves. And next thing, he heard the leopard at the bottom of the tree. How the leopard got across those leaves without making a sound. So it shows you how skillful and stealthy they are. And he admired it. And Corbett respected. He never shot an animal, and I admire him for this, never shot a leopard or a tiger unless it was a man-eater or um, an affirmed stop-killer. Normal leopards and tigers, he said, they don't mean me any harm. Let them carry on. They're just doing it naturally. I, I, I've been reading Corbett's books since I was 17, and I can still read them again. And it's they're very exciting to me, almost like you're there with him at the time, you see. As Corbett would say, you know, um, he felt great sorrow at shooting a tiger or a leopard because they're so beautiful animals. But he had no choice because they're killing mm. children in the villages, this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think nowadays it's the opposite. I think they do tend to, um, in India and other parts, if there is a leopard, 
um, and it's not a proven man eater. Um, they do uh, harass it, and um, in some places, in yeah. some places, yeah, yeah. do. Where, where yeah, is it? I think it's. Uh, I've from what I've read and heard, mm, it, it mm, is mm. different in different locations. Different locations. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. have to confirm yeah. which one is which. Um, just yeah. like we do nowadays, distinguish the distinguish the, the, one, yeah. the, the, yeah. the badly behaved yeah, one, whatever right, the, the yeah. one that's putting people yeah. at risk. So, so I'd I'd recommend Corbett's books. Mm. Um, and there is a compendium to start with. You could yeah. rather than buy different ones. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, there's yeah. a compendium one anyway. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, Temple Tigers is one, isn't it? The Man Eaters yeah, yeah. of Kumar. The Man Eaters of Kumar. That's yeah. a very good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you don't normally get um, um, healthy tigers or leopards. Not normally. Now and again, you do, but not normally. Uh, turn into man eaters. Generally, because they've got a broken canine, they can't down, pull down their prey. They're old, arthritic. They have, they just can't pull down their prey anymore. Mm. And so then they take to killing man. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's actually remarkable how resourceful um, some of the older ones or injured ones become. Uh, here, I mean, we've heard people talking about um, them fishing in their gardens, you know, going for That's koi right. carp in their gardens, and th- them looking like they're arthritic, and people feeling pity for them and feeling, okay, my koi carp stock are expensive, but it's yeah. a it's a fascinating thing to observe, and so they are adapt. They adapt, it seems, once they exactly. they have some of their powers and skills um, reduced bit by their age, and that's right. Just like we got to adapt as we get older. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can't do now what I did when I was 35. Sure. I could climb mountains, go down cliffs and all sorts. But yeah. Because you just can't do it as you get older. Physically, yeah, yeah. you can't do it. You're mentally, you're the same. You want to yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. And some of those Cotswold slopes, the gradients are yeah, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But um, funny you were saying that about um, over here. Because um, I always remember one instance talking about um, big cats and hooking out fish and koi. There's one instance in the score. I can't remember exactly the score was now. But it's in mid-afternoon, and they had one of these raised ponds in the actual sort of forecourt or in, in the middle of the playground of school. And suddenly, one of the children said to the teacher, "Please, ma'am, there's a big tiger-like animal over there, and it's and it's looking at our fish." He said, "Oh, don't be silly!" And all of a sudden, they all turned around. He saw this big cat hooking out, trying to hook out the fish. I think it's a particularly hot summer, like it is now at the moment. And, of course, this is what happens. It gets attracted to other sources. And, and of course, they all saw it, the whole, the whole class, all this big cat. Blatantly, Blatantly which happens, occurs yeah, yeah. sometimes, yeah. Now, this, funnily enough, this is a very good report, another report, just come to mind. Because all this I store in my mind, like a file, like a computer, and I just call on it. Um, I, obviously, I've got a book or all the reports I can refer to, but <clears throat> like anything else in life, <clears throat> one thing will trigger another thing off. And this, I just thought of this. Now, this was quite a fantastic. This is only last year when we had a very, very hot spell, like it is right now. I think it was last April. I can't remember. We had a very hot spell. Everything dried up. Yeah, no, it was it was July, August last year, last summer. Yeah, summer, summer 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was extremely Six dry. to eight weeks of, yeah. Yeah, six to eight. It's extremely yeah. hot weather. Ponds are drying up and everything. So animals have to, obviously, put A, look for water. And B, look for food, you see. And of course, with all animals, deer and the prey species will go looking for water as well. And if that's the cats, have got to find their prey. And so they follow a suit. There's one particular man. And this is really a very amazing sighting. He lives in um, Barnwood, part of Gloucester. 
Yeah, so residential, inner residential area, halfway yes. into the resi- yeah. in from the suburbs towards yeah. the centre. Yeah. Towards the centre, right next to a very big um, park, Arboretum. He lived in a cul-de-sac in his clothes. He said um, in front of his house there was a because um, he lived right in the end where the cul-de-sac turned round and come back out, and in the centre of it is a large grassed area with two or three lime trees, and they're in full flower, full leaf at that time, of course. And um, he had yellow street lights like all these places have. <clears throat> and he said, he looked out his window at it before he went to bed at 11 o'clock. And he said, he couldn't believe it, he said. Sat by the tree was a big black cat. I said, how big? Very big, he said. He described it. Most people say the size of a Labrador, a German Shepherd. Now, this is this is one, I suppose, in a way, this is good dis- good comparison because people all know German Shepherd size Labrador size but by making this comparison with a dog it sometimes puts in people oh it's a dog you saw no 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 I'm just comparing it to a dog no he compared it to a Labradoodle so he knows the size of a Labradoodle it's quite big he watched it unfortunately this guy elderly guy and he hasn't got a mobile phone he's got a camera and he said he looked out the window and he just sat there and it was sat up on its haunches, looking at this far house in the corner, like cats do, so patiently. You can imagine a cat, a typical sort of classic example of a domestic cat, sitting for an hour or more beside a mouse hole, waiting for the mouse to come out. It's a very similar situation, yep. although it's you know, four or five times the size. So it sat there watching. He said, I looked at it. I thought, I don't believe what I'm seeing. He said, I'll go and get my camera. So he went back. The camera, no batteries in it. So he didn't have much choice. So he went back and he watched this big cat for an hour. An hour. I can't believe it. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. And it just sat there. And then it went, it obviously got tired of being sitting up. And it went down um, in a crouch, still watching this corner <clears throat> and up again. He said, then from the, a, a laurel bush nearby, because I went up and investigated all this and put a ca- couple of cameras up there. I always, I always investigate and try and find any signs of big cats where people have said to see them. If necessary, I put a camera out there, hoping it'll come back. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't come back. Or if it does come back, it don't go past the camera. Simple as that. He said a fox came out from the undergrowth, from the laurel bush nearby. The fox looked at it and thought, what's that? You could see, he said, you could see the questioning of the fox. He said, and it gradually walked towards it. And he said, it got about sort of a yard from the cat, the fox. And the cat turns around, just turns around. The fox leapt out of its skin and shot off like that. Obviously, a fox had never seen one before. <coughs> and so I realised it's a big cat, could kill it. Anyway, he said the cat continued. And he thinks, and I think most probably right, because what we found during hot spells like that, they come in looking for food around towns, just like urban foxes where it's easy food. They go scavenging. And domestic cats, we know these big mm. cats take and eat or take domestic cats. And the guy in the corner had a cat flap, and he knows he's got two domestic cats. I think it realised, and it's waiting for those cats to come out. From a neighbour's house? From a neighbour's house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's happened eventually? He said, well, he said it moved behind the tree a bit more. So I couldn't get a very good view of it. So I thought, I'll come downstairs. So he said, I come downstairs, walked out, he said, and the security light come on. He said, it heard me, turned round, it was walking towards me. When I opened the door, it was obviously got fed up waiting for the cats. I thought I'd try elsewhere. And they're walking towards me, he said. I opened the door, the cat stopped, I stopped, and I thought, wow. And the cat, he said, 
snarled at me, you see. A silent snarl. He said, you could see its white teeth. Yellow eyes. He said, and it casually walked off under the street lamp and headed for this um, arboretum. Fantastic experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic experience like that. Yeah. yeah. Didn't, didn't this guy um, tell his neighbour who then didn't believe him? Oh, he told his neighbour. Yeah, of course, their neighbours just don't believe it. Mm. I mean, yeah, my yeah. neighbour here... Mm didn't believe first of all that we had foxes in our garden urban foxes i mean it's crazy mm. some people just don't want to believe or yeah. they're not animal people as i say yeah they're just watching telly all the time yeah you've got to be yeah yeah, yeah. you've got to be an animal person to realize you know and you've got to yeah what can go on what can yeah. go on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that frank because i wanted to to touch on um the urban situation that is a classic example of how they could be close to people's houses that's in right. around gardens without us really knowing yeah, that's and right, it's only yeah. dogs barking are going to notice them and alert people just like happens in mumbai and yeah yeah, and yeah places yeah, in yeah, urban yeah, places yeah, in africa yeah, so yeah. that and is leopard-like behavior and puma-like behavior yeah, yeah. A puma is very similar to a leopard, really, in form. Well, it is and it isn't. Leopards have um, got generally a much longer, quite a bit longer muzzle most of the time. Um, and, of course, leopards are big cats as such. They come under yeah. the Panthera genus, you see. Panthera pardus mm. is, is the actual scientific name. Mm. So they're all under the Panthera, like Panthera mm. leo, the lion and the tigress, all the big cats, whereas pumas are actually a large, small cat. Yeah, feelers. Chris, yeah. Chris is feelers. Yeah, yeah. Could we? Could we? Could you do the noises of them, Frank? The call, the main sort of calls that uh, I know you sometimes get these reported. But could you do a sort of yeah, leopard yeah. like um, one first? Well, I've only ever heard this once actually, and that was when I sat out um, trying to take some um, video footage of some badgers in this guy's garden, and he had a, a light. A light. He leaves the light on all the time, so the badgers weren't phased by the light. So I'd, I'd record them on my camcorder. I was waiting, waiting. It got to midnight. This is in Stroud again. Stroud's a marvellous area of all sorts of wildlife, actually. Yeah. Deer, badgers, foxes, big mm. cats, you name it. All for, for people who don't know it, it's got sort of five really deep valleys that that's sort right. of coalesce around the town. But yeah, it's um, right, yeah. uh, st- steep valleys and, and hills and Cotswolds. Yeah, a few woodlands um, slope well, sides, yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, I sat out there. And um, and I remember it chiming midnight. I thought, well... Um, the badger had come out, and I got a bit of footage, and they went back in again. I thought, oh, I'll just give it a try. I thought, I'll make a noise of a leopard, because it's dead quiet, just see what comes back. I didn't expect anything at all, right? And I made this, um, like a leopard makes this sort of... <coughs> that sort of a coughing noise, um, like, a, like a horse saw, you know, like an old rip saw, you know, <coughs> and you're sawing. And they'd do that, you see. That would just... That will determine I'm here for other leopards to hear, and also, um, you know, don't come into my territory, this sort of thing. So I did that, and I waited, and I didn't hear anything. So I did it once again, and I thought, oh. then all of a sudden I heard it in the distance. It travelled because I was quite high up, you see, and it must have travelled across the valley because it was dead quiet. And I heard this distance sort of <laughs> like that in the distance. Mm. I was amazed. So I thought, well, that proves a the point. There. These cats are out there. You see. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So, so by calling, and Corbett used to do this. Corbett mm. could call tigers. Mm. There's vibrations that are using as well, isn't it? The infrasound sort of vibrations. Yeah, but they, they were so good. Up. They could call. Um, I can't do tigers very well, but tiger was just all. A moaning sort of. We ought to emphasise. Not heard in Britain. No, no, no. 
Yeah, so that was that sound. Mm. Um, then there's another, which takes me on to the next um, part of the subject. Like well, we better do Puma, yeah. And I think this all correlates back to um, the fact that many people years ago, pop stars, etc., kept big cats in Stroud area and released them. And I think this is why you've still got a nucleus of big cats there. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, this guy, same sort of thing. He said he got up early in the morning. Might have got a pee or something early in the morning. Got up. And um, it's moonlight. And he looked out the window. And the, the, the way these people describe this, you see, they're not fantasizing. They're just telling you what they saw. And these are genuine people. These are not people out to sort of um, fool fool anyone or or uh, try and sort of um, make any money out of it all. These are just, they're interested in seeing something they don't expect to see in the British countryside, which none of us do. <laughs> and um, he said he went out and looked across and he saw Bombay's garden. He saw this puma and he described it, in, he described it just like a puma. Thick rope-like towel, he said, um, sort of in the moonlight, sort of greyish colour. Um, he said um, he had a round sort of head, which pumas have got, quite a roundish face, almost like domestic cat sort of face they got. He said, and it ignored, well, it didn't even know he was there, he was looking out the window. And he said, it threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round, it was, uh, let me see if I can do it, sort of. Like that, sort of. A, sort of a bit more higher, more, more slowly. Like that, which pumas do. And normally it's the female pumas that do it, calling them out. And that was about um, Christmas time, just after then. Mm. And it was calling across the... And he's fascinated. This guy couldn't believe it. Mm. He described it in such great detail. And, of course, he bought two cameras, and he put these cameras in the garden. And I always say, let me know. Never heard anything more. Mm. It was just in one place at the right time. So that is a really fantastic puma sighting and calling. But they do... They obviously um, exist in the same territory. Now, the strange part about you, it... You mean the different types of cats, different yeah, coloured yeah, cats, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, they do abroad. Mm. I mean, you know, tigers and leopards live in India, but they come out and avoid each other because a tiger will kill, kill a leopard. I mean, a larger predator mm. will always kill a smaller predator because mm. it's a competition for But food. they'll be wary of injury as well sometimes. Oh, yeah, but they, they, like a wolf will always kill a coyote this sort of, or a fox if you can get hold of it. And tigers always kill leopards. Uh, and lions are called leopards and cheetahs. This is why they have to abandon their prey because leopards or any other, even hyenas, will take it off them. Uh, and so, but and they obviously avoid each other. But the strange part about it is there is one theory which could be possible, even though people, scientists dispute it, so it's not possible. And I think it can be because nature finds a way. If there's leopards and pumas out there, there's not, not enough um, um, nucleus of one particular species, um, one will mate with the other one. Um, and obviously they're both um, cat species, although one's smaller cat, one's larger cat. They're both mates, and and this has been uh, this mating has been tried in um, in captivity, and it works. And the animal comes out. It's called a puma pard, and you can look this up on the internet, and you'll see a picture of a puma pard. And believe it or not, they come out much smaller. If you cross two large, you think they're going to get a large one, but a puma pard is quite smaller. But then people say they're fertile. Well, maybe, maybe not, um, because over the generation, or, or if they bred on, it would they wouldn't have the sort of bone structure, and, and they'd have inbred weaknesses to yeah, they might survive do. and. But what happens? Thrive. You see, eventually, if you have a void in nature uh, of a of a prey species, whatever, it has to be filled. That's the way it is, and something will fill that. You see, 
uh, like when all the wolves were uh, uh, taken out from Yellowstone Park, the coyotes took over. But now we're bringing wolves back to keep the coyotes down because you've got to have this balance. And I think there is quite a lot of hybrid cats out there, I mm. personally do, mm. because 80% of all the sightings, are not only locally I get, I get it from Devon and Cornwall, Scotland and uh, all around London, Essex area, um, Surrey. Every month of the year, I receive maybe um, at the least two sightings a month, at the most four sightings a month. And some of these are from far-flung places, the mm. British Isles, you see. Sure. And, of course, yeah, yeah. I can't travel out there, but we got quite an extensive sort of team. So we got people living in Dorset and other places who we can pass that on to if they're in the area and they can go out and investigate it, you see. This sort mm. of I, know, I know you and I um, sort of overlap in our views on what the black cats are. I mean, I know mm. you, you feel some of them have to be black leopards by their nature and cause whenever, but uh, a lot of them aren't. And, and I'm the other way around. I feel the majority of the ones reported to me people are describing something like a melanistic leopard but i i think i also agree with you that some of them are not not that you can always go 100 percent by a witness report but the the interesting thing looking at the footage of corin's cat that we talked about earlier uh, and i've looked at that with you and many other people um it doesn't look like it's a dark cat it doesn't look like a puma or a leopard and 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 the big large black one that sharon larkin photographed in mm. on the on the scottish borders again it's not an obvious black leopard it, no, it does look no. more like a sort of uh, a mutant large domestic cat and that's what people say yeah so th that, there is that puzzle about it it's hard to believe actually a lot of people are saying that he's just like in australia i think that's the theory over there in many cases this is just feral domestic cats have got bigger and bigger and bigger so there's giganticism there for yeah, some so, somehow some mutation why? or whatever i mean why, yeah. why suddenly you know mm. i've come across a domestic cat a dead big black tom cat and i picked it up on the road and it's as big as a fox it's as big as a fox but it's just a big massive black tom cat this was yeah, yeah. so it shows that domestic cats can reach the size of a fox yeah yeah and i think a lot of people may be seeing some of these big cats fox sized domestic cats and they go wow look at that yeah yeah but strange but one strange thing about uh, which conflicts with your, your theory is that not um of the black of the, 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 the black ones are mainly melanistic black leopards yeah that's yeah. what you're saying but what i'm saying is that when I speak to people and they see one in daylight, close up, I, and I say to them, um, did you see its eyes? And they say, no, no, I didn't see eyes, right? But if they do, I say, oh, yeah, what did it look like, its eyes? Oh, it's just like a domestic cat's eyes. Well, can you explain yourself? Yes, they were yellow, um, mostly yellow or green, yellow, I think, yellow, most of them, and they got this vertical pupil, now, only the small... Felis, the small yeah. cat species have got this domestic cats, um, jungle cats, and all the other small species, domestic cats, have got this vertical pupil. So in bright sunlight, uh, if you look at your domestic cat, you can see its eye, it'll go to a vertical pupil. Whereas you look at a big cat in a zoo, lion, tiger, leopard, in bright sunlight, the, the pupil will uh, retract to a small black dot. So the people are saying to me, in my mind, it's saying, Okay, we've got a big cat, but it's got the features in its eyes of a small cat, of a domestic cat. Not a panthera. No, not a panthera. It's, until we actually got a specimen in front of us, and I can assure you specimens have been 
taken away, but we never know about them. Maybe to protect the public, I don't know, whatever, whatever. But we all know amongst our group that there have been um, examples taken away and never disclosed. Um, but until we have one of these and it's analysed and um, diagnosed what it is, you know, we can never be 100% certain. Um, but the other interesting fact as well is that there it seems to be a midway cat in coloration. We often get chocolate brown cats in the same vicinity as the black and the form ones. Now, would this be a, <laughs> a cross between the two, fawn and black, produced chocolate brown? I don't know how yeah, it works. Or a light-coloured melanistic leopard or a dark-coloured uh, uh, puma. That's it's, right. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I must say, which is really uh, rather puzzling in a way, although everyone comes up with some story to sort of some uh, some judgment on it which tries to override it um, and that is we've got so many black leopards the most common leopard in the world is the spotted leopard so surely people would have bought spotted leopards years ago and there were spotted leopards i think i've only ever come across two reports of a spotted leopard in this country being seen and why don't we get any spotted leopards it's rather strange mm. i suppose the answer part of the answer to that would be if there was a, a founder population of black ones, uh, two black parents breed on black, uh, and, yeah, yeah. and incidentally, two black jaguars breeding uh, will breed on only seventy five percent black. That twenty five percent will uh, be be the normal coloration of a jaguar. So you would get a consistent black population like you uh, of, of black leopards. Like oh, you'd you be do dominant. In, uh, be yeah, do dominant. Yeah, you'd be dominant. But yeah, sure. Could, could we just quickly touch on lynx, Frank? Because about five, ten percent of the reports are pretty consistently lynx. And yeah, fascinating. Yeah, lynx, lynx. Apparently, a lynx are one of the most secretive of all the wild cat species. One of the most secretive, more so than leopards. Leopards, after a while, they become pretty audacious and quite sort of. Uh, um, daring, we're going into Indian villages, taking a set of dogs and cats and and, and such like. Whereas lynx are very secretive. Mm. Um, Some of the uh, most well, remarkable well, reports you know, Rick, you've had. Yeah. yeah, as you know, Rick, you you I think you went to Poland or somewhere was it? Slo Slo I've yeah. been on field trips um, uh, to, to to, um, to learn about lynx. Yeah, and, and you yeah. spoke to trackers over there who've mm. been tracking them for three or four years or so. They've never ever seen a lynx. Well, the, yeah, I mean, there was one guy he he um, had to intercept them with foothold traps, um, humane foothold traps to collar collar them. Um, so he would see them regularly. But I said to him, and this was a seven year stint he'd had at this i said other than that how often have you seen a lynx the and you're right in the heart of their territory he said oh three glimpses in seven years there you are and he's yeah. right by them all the time yeah they know you're there i mean they can hear yeah, yeah. you hearing's the most um the highest sense in a cat not smell at all smells quite um um it's got a lower sense in a cat as opposed mm. to dogs wolves and bears so the sense mm. of smell is not as good as we try to make out in cats. It's the hearing and the sight, which is the mm. higher senses. I've had two, two reports that come to mind. And this is, one's, um, one was from Coombe Hill um, area on the way to Cheltenham. Um, and the guy was a gardener and he had a couple of cold frames. And he said he'd come out one morning, about six in the morning, and it's just warming up. He said there was a lynx laying across his cold frame because of the heat. He couldn't believe it. And he described it intent intently, just like a lynx, like a lynx. So he described it accurately, like mm. a lynx. Mm. He said it jumped up. 
saw him, it was just as surprised as him, jumped up and ran off. Mm. Just like a domestic cat would would rest on a warm compost heap or on a yeah, sunny yeah, yeah, part in the, sunny the, part morning, of the garden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like your, your domestic cat would, yeah. And it just took off. Uh, and the other one was a manager some many years ago of Tesco's in Quedgley. But um, it was quite a smallish Tesco then at the time. And he rang me up. He said, I saw a lynx. I said, well, where did you see the lynx? He said, in Tesco's. I said, in Tesco's. Come on. So he said... No, not in Tesco's, but in Tesco's car park. So yeah, what happened? He said, well, we had two big wheelie bins, he said. I think they changed now, but all the sort of um, out-of-date food they used to put in the bins in those days. I don't think they're allowed to do it now, whatever. Mm. But they used to put all the out-of-date stuff in these bins. And he said he'd come out one, one morning, just opened the back doors, and there's a lynx scavenging, looking around the bins. He just there again. He just mm. ran off. Attracted by the meaty smell. Yeah, by yes. Them. I think yeah, other yeah, people yeah. have had that kind of report yeah, elsewhere yeah, in the country. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a way to attract. The other thing about tracking, you see, I mean, there's only two really professional type, really good trackers in the world. I mean, I've I've learned to track through. I'm not. I'm not much good at tracking. I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm better than Joe Public, but you compare me with a professional tracker. You know, I wouldn't stand a chance. But it's nice to learn as you go along, and you learn every day. And uh, the only two ones are uh, a military tracker and um, your indigenous peoples of the world tracking. Because both of them, their tracking of animals and people depend on their lives. With the military, it depends on their lives, the lives of their comrades. So they've got to be expert trackers. And secondly, the indigenous people, they need to track for food, otherwise they'd starve. They kill the animals for their food. So they have to be, to rely on tracking. Lots of people purport to be trackers, but when you actually meet them, um, they're quite laughable, really. I had a report from a guy who's a Cotswold dry stone waller, and he was up, um, I think this is... Mid-South Cotswold. Mid-South Cotswold, somewhere around there. And he was doing this um, building or repairing, repairing, I think he was, this console mm. stone wall. And all of a sudden, he, he happened to see this animal leaping up in the air like this. And he looked across, and it was a lynx. And he said, he dis- well, again, we described it quite accurately as a lynx. It was after pheasants. It was leaping, trying to catch these pheasants, which lynx do. Mm. Um, caracals do it, especially the African mm. lynx. And they jump really high, and you see them. They pull out. They pull birds out of the sky. Yes. So it, it's a feature of lynx to actually leap up and try to grab birds. Yeah. Uh, he didn't know this, so he's mm. just reporting what he saw. Mm. But once again, isn't it interesting to see that he reported what he saw, but the behaviour of what he saw correlates actually to a proper lynx behaviour. Yes. So sure. it shows, shows you how genuine that report was. You see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I remember had had a report from Scotland of one bounding over logs going for grouse, which again is what they would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the nature yeah. and but of course ra- ra- ma- rabbits and hares are, are the key prey for them, aren't they? That's but right. also they they they're described as they take the little, down deer as well. Yeah, the little cat with a big attitude. They could get something much larger. Oh, they do. Technique. Yeah. Oh, they do. I mean, they mm. see what people don't realise when they see um, a, a cat. Um, well, look, for instance. Um, uh, leopards are pulled down much larger prey. All all cats will because they've got the tools for the job. They got the, they got the biting power. They got the cat- long stabbing canines, and they got the claws to hold on. You see, but most of the just like leopards, you see, for instance, in this country, 
Um, I think what's happened, well, you, we say leopards, big cats. Leopard-like. Leopard-like big yeah. cats yeah, yeah. and puma-like big cats in this country. There's no doubt about it now. I mean, with, with so many sightings um, from reputable people, like police, gamekeepers, um, and we've had groups of people seeing them, not just one or two groups, mm. three or four people seeing them. Um, these big cats are here to stay. Mm. And it's not a question of danger. Um, they're not dangerous towards people. I haven't known one. All wild animals, they want to stay away from man, wouldn't you? Mm. Noisy mm. cars, dogs barking, shouting, screaming, radios playing. You don't, want to, you don't want to mess with that. You just want to stay away mm. from it all the time. Right? On that one, I, I, I know we, you and I and others don't like to be alarmist. And, and bringing up examples of where people have been sort of followed uh, and it's been a bit close for comfort yeah, can, can, can be unrepresentative, highly unrepresentative, because it's you know one every two year, once every two years we'll get a report like that. Yeah. But could you relay briefly the, the report of um, Jean it was in Painswick yeah, yeah, um, I remember that, yeah. when she was followed? That's a fascinating one. I think... In many of these cases, I think it's the small dog that the cat is after or that is causing it a problem. It's another predator in there. And it either wants to get rid of that dog or cat or maybe... I don't I don't think basically it wants to kill it for prey. I think it's just saying, you know, um, get out. You know, you're, you're another predator. Just stay you're away. You're bothersome. Yeah. yeah. It may, in cold weather, try to get the small dog. Mm. Um, but can know, you describe that, that yeah, one, yeah. Frank? Yeah, yeah. She rang me up and she said she was in Painswick going through the woods. And this is another, another unusual one as well because of the sound. And she said she had a little small um, cayenne terrier, I think it was, a little small terrier. Um, and she always went up in the woods on her own. And she was walking through this area, which is like a disused... It was a woodland of, gully, wasn't gully, it? Gully, yeah. Was in the Almost like a, it, yeah. you call a waddy. And it's full of leaves. And she was walking along there. And she suddenly looked up and she was a big big black cat behind a tree looking at her and she couldn't believe it and she frightened she's terrified and she the dog sensed it she said and the dog went rigid she said with fear and suddenly the cat made this noise a wailing sort of noise she said it sounded like a plane in distress started off high like anyway it sort of went sort of like a plane when they do a dive in an air show or something like this. And she said, she's terrified. And she shouted out at the top of her voice, help me, anyone here? Um, I've got a big black cat, big black puma or le leopard like following me. I'm terrified. Help me. No one was up there, of course. It's on her own. And she gradually walked away back to the road. The dog shut the drag. It all was rigid. She, she picked the dog up. Uh, and the dog was so frightened it peed itself. So she made her way to, and it was following her. When she stopped, the cat stopped and watched her behind a tree. When she walked, it followed her. It was almost like stalking her. I think it was, like I said, the dog. Anyway, it kept making this sound. She got to this stile, which took her out of the wood onto towards the main road, and the cat was still following her. And then suddenly a lorry came up, and as it on a bend, it had to put its air brakes on. It sort of go, and the lorry's air brakes made that sort of noise. And the noise frightened the cat, and the cat ran off. And um, so we laid that story when in the press, when on television, when everywhere, because mm. it's such a dramatic and um, descriptive story. Mm. Um, 
I remember she contacted me as well and, and yourself and said that she needed to stay in touch for almost sort of um, to get over the traumatised sort of um, experience. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And she used to go there several times a week to collect wood and she didn't ever go back. No, um, no. many people say that. If they say mm. it, they, I wouldn't go back there again on my own. Mm. You see. And she only, the key thing she wanted from us was to try and um, influence the owners to put up an information sign because she just didn't want, um, no, no. and she emphasised she didn't want any harm coming to a cat if it, the cat if it was ever discovered there, but she um, was worried about kids playing there. Yeah, that's right. Many of them say that, you see. Mm. I've had so many tales of big cats being seen near schools. Mm. It just happened to be in, in the location. What it is, much of this, you see, over the years, it's been, as we all know, there's so much building going on, so much land being bought up by building companies. Mm. We're bound to encroach where yeah, they are and sometimes. They're yeah. building up. You've got to remember, all animals got territories. All animals got territories. And they defend the territories against another, others of the same species. And, of course, they got regular trails. They've been maybe hundreds of years, badgers especially, hundreds of years using these trails from A to B. Of course, we build over there regardless, and they're still going to, they're not going to suddenly give up their trails. They'll find a way around it, or they go through late at night when no one's around. And this is why people see them mm. more, you see. Mm -hmm. People, I think, basically, people are seeing cats more now over the last 10 years due to expansion of building business parks, and leisure areas where people go more. And people are going out much more than they did years ago. Yeah, yeah. Another example which I found quite interesting was a mountain biker in the forest, a dean. And he rang me up. He said he goes mountain biking all through the trails in the forest. And he said he'd come round this bend near Colford. Dead quiet it was. And he was going quite fast on the bike. He said all of a sudden sat 20, 30 yards, 40 yards ahead of him was a big black leopard-like cat. He's big black. He said washing itself in the sunlight. He said, he's terrible. He braked. The bike went sideways. He come off the bike, got up. He said, it just casually looked at him and continued washing itself like a domestic cat. I said, what did you do? He said, well, what did you do? He said, I just jumped on the bike and went back and away I come. So <laughs> an experience like that, you see, is, is, is quite, it's quite amazing. And it is quite uh, daunting. I mean, it would be for anyone. Yes. I, I defy anyone to say they come around the corner uh, there was a soldier some years ago, I think he was ex-Special Forces, Marines. I think he was Marines he was. I think he, was. he obviously fought in Iraq and that, and soldiers supposed to be quite brave most of the time, so he put up with all these rigours and danger, etc. And he was walking back home, I believe it was through the forest somewhere, and he come face to face with a big black cat, and it he turned around, he ran, mm. ran. Something you're not trained for. And he mm. ran into a yeah. pub, I think, mm. afterwards, right, pub, and he was crying with the fear mm. of it all. This yeah, big yeah. Cat, yeah. You just haven't been prepared for no, that. No, not yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I'll get all these towels and stories. Mm. You see, you know. Frank, we're on our last two or three minutes, um, and one thing I would we, you touched on tracking, and a good um, element of tracking is looking for scat, looking for droppings. That's um, right. Yeah. Could you just give us an example of what when you find a suspect dropping, what what you do, and how you make a sort of assessment of it? Yeah. Well, first thing about tracking, it's not so much. Um, well, it is obviously it's a tracking, looking for impressions in the ground made by animals and big cats, what we're looking for. But it's also ob um, being observant. That's the main thing. A lot of people go out and look and walk through a wood and see nothing at all. You've got birds and they don't see anything because they're not observant. You've got to observe. You've got to have a knack for observing stuff and not missing anything. And this is where you find stuff like that. And you have to look in places like pinch points and you find where animal trails, um, 
a good place obviously to start you've got to, if you find water and you find cover and you find rabbits pheasants and prey you know there's going to be a carnivore there of some sort you see and and if you find droppings foxes are quite easy easy to analyze you see they're generally about up to about i don't know six inches long maximum and he um they got this terrible smell once you smelt it you never forget it this fox smell i spent many of you listening mostly found fox poo on your lawn on your patio and you know what it's when you clear it up um and it's generally got a little twist on the end and if it's a wild fox you generally got um hair um which is um down the axis of it all the way down on top of it if it's the urban foxes it's generally just like normal dog poo it's quite runny but it's still got that smell to it but anyway and if you come across the way i'm looking at it is that um generally if it's a big cat dropping it's generally like a line of like sausages um three or four joined together like segmented segmented yeah yeah all the way down there so. mm. and um generally it's got what well we are what we eat so it's generally got fur in it feathers in it and what i tend to do if i find something on which, which i think hello, this is something different, okay, I take it back, I put it in, I put it in an old dish, and I put some hot water in it, and leave it overnight, and it breaks up, and now I can see exactly what's in it, you find small bones, small mammals, mice, rabbit bones in it, and all sorts, and hair, and feathers, um, so it's quite interesting, mm. it? but the only way, of course, as, as you know, Rick, is to send it away for DNA, mm. Analysis. For, for those wondering about that, I mean, um, we have done that about six times in the last two or three years, and and by and large, we it comes back. The, the result DNA result test comes back as the con something in the content of the of the dropping. So roe deer, it mm. clearly wasn't a roe deer's mm. dropping, no, but no, no. that's the predominant content. So that's the result you get. And I I know even from the American experience because I I go to the mountain lion conferences in the in the states and. Um, some of their labs, you know, you know, they ask each other, the practitioners over there ask each other, what are the best labs for getting good results from scat? It is difficult to get a result from scat sometimes. Yes, that's what I've heard, actually. Mm. Um, and also, I read but, but some- the key thing is that the thing that you're doing about investigating the content that is really helpful to get because it's giving you a clue about the diet, the lifestyle, you know, what it's eating, uh, basically, yeah, yeah. In, in its life. But they say that trackers in um, in Tibet and around there, where you've got um, you've got snow leopards. And you also got wolves as well, and because they both eat the same diet, even the professional trackers find it hard to identify between the droppings because they they eat the same stuff. Yeah, it yeah. comes out very similarly. So. Mm, mm-hmm. um, the content is what determines what comes out the other end. Yeah, and, and the smell. It, what about the smell? Because you you, yeah, you, you smell, reckon the cat yeah. one smells. Yeah, um, the cat one smells quite metallic mm. sort of smell, or just like iodine. Well, imagine you've got a domestic mm. cat, a cat tray, you know, when you clean out your cat litter, that sort of smell. Mm. And it stands out quite well, that yeah. does, you see. And the cat pee smells like that. It's t- terrible. Yeah. And, so, and one way to do it, if you think there's one, is to go up a tree. That's Frank's phone oh, going off, phone. by the way. And yeah, uh, that's my fault, not for saying turn your phone off before we start. I'll turn it off. Um, of course, what they will do, cats, you see, and this has been, I was talking about... Um, um, not a nice subject, I know, but it's all part and parcel of the natural world. You have to go through all of it if you're determined, if you're that um, interested in it. Um, it's the droppings and the urine. Um, in many cases, I've come across um, people have rung me up and said they've seen a big cat backing up to a tree, lifting its tower up like tomcats do, and peeing against the tree, a stream of urine coming out. And of course, 
obviously the tree smells then. Mm. So sometimes if you know the cat's in the area, if you can get that smell, you can go up and, and have a sniff of the tree, see what you think. Mm. And if you think it's okay, it's going to come back there again because it's marking its territory, and that is the place to put one of our 24-7 trail cameras up there. Mm. and hopefully it'll come back. But I think myself personally, with there must be thousands of cat- these 24-7 trail cameras in the UK now, and we haven't got really... 10 out of 10 footage. We've got no, some glimpses. We've got which, some glimpses, but yeah. we haven't got the real McCoy mm. footage. Yeah, although we're aware there are some. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've seen some as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of them, you see, I think they're so wary that they know the camera's there. We know that because it makes mm. a click when it takes. Um, they just avoid it. Mm. And once they know it's there, they never go back there because mm. they think it's mm. a trap. The main thing about wild animals is to be aware of mankind and being trapped. If they think it's a trap, they won't go back there. Mm. Uh, so we've got to be very clever how we set our cameras up to get them, you see. Um, put them up higher in a tree, because most wild animals don't look up. Conceal them in a log or something like this, you know. And we've done all this, but... Um, Anyway, hey ho, mm. we might get. We've got to finish now, Frank. But the final, the, the final point I'd finish on is that this balance that you um, and others have in terms of trying to sort of um, acclimatise people in your work and what you do to the fact that cats are around, but be, you're also quite aware of the fact that bringing evidence very emphatically could be a sort of Pandora's box situation, and That's right. it's that striking that balance, isn't it? Because you wouldn't want um, no, no. everybody to start panicking overnight if you sort of had six DNA test results with leopards and pumas all over the place and and, yeah, yeah. and no context for explaining that. No. So you 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 go at it carefully, don't you? Oh yeah, you have to because I mean the, the first thing people ask me, the press when they speak to me because they obviously want to sensationalise things, they will say to me, are they dangerous? And that's all the voice. I said, no. And they said about anyone, are they dangerous? Even badgers, someone had a badger in their garden in, in Gloucester here. And they got in touch with me, he's got a badger in my garden. I said, well, it's all right. Is it dangerous? Will it attack me? I said, well, no, if you leave it alone, of course it won't attack you. So any wild animal is, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got teeth and claws to, to them would be dangerous, you see. They're not dangerous at all. But the whole point about it is, you have to, like you said, balance it up with people. Of course, there's big cats all the time. But of course, if suddenly in the press tomorrow, we got it, there's a photo, 10 photos across the UK of big cats. They've got to be out there, guys. Don't worry. You know, people say, oh my goodness, big cats out there. I've got to lock my kids away. I'm not going to let my little toddler play in the garden and this sort of thing. I'm not going to take my, let my dog go in the woods anymore. Mm. And you're going to get that. And yeah. panic wounds you. I mean, people have only got to say, oh yeah, um, Bakery's going on strike. There'll be a bread strike. The shelves are cleared in Asda in ten minutes of bread. I mean, the overreaction, to the overreaction yeah. to everything, and it's sure. always overreaction yeah, yeah. to everything. You see, yeah. this sort of thing. So it's it's keeping it in proportion is, yeah, is what yeah, yeah. you and others are yeah. trying to do in in, yeah. in bringing but, it to people's attention. When I look at the moment in the Forest of Dean, you've got signs up there. Um, be aware there's wild boar in the area. They can be dangerous. Keep your dogs in a lead and your child close. And don't by. feed them. And don't yeah. feed them. This sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. That's just yeah. wild boar. Yeah. Imagine if they put a sign up saying the same uh, big cats out there. People wouldn't go in there, would they? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, well, I mean, we'll be discussing that that those kinds of issues as we go through the series of these podcasts. So, yeah, yeah. Frank, I think thank you so much. I think we're going to have to wrap it up yeah, there yeah, because sure, we've been sure. our sort of we've gone over our allocation, but. Um, 
It's been tremendous hearing from you. You'll no doubt be part of the series and we'll hear from you again um, at um, various times in the future. And what I would say to people who are in and around Gloucestershire, if you um, want to come to a talk, that Frank and I um, do talks and sometimes we do the talks together. Um, and they're often almost like sort of fireside chats. We like to mm. sort of... Um, uh, and sort of... Um, chats and, and tales around the campfire so we're in with the community and, and and local people talking about their big cat sightings themselves and that always really helps so the next one that we're scheduled for is 17th of october uh, mm. at nymsfield so if you want to get in touch on any aspect of um, the podcast or details of that event please email me remember you can look on the website to get the past episodes and look at any further information coming episodes one of the key forthcoming episodes will feature uh, sheep farmers experiences and the impacts on sheep and and how those sheep farmers feel about it and of course that's a very important aspect of this subject that we need to consider in the podcast series so thanks everyone for listening thanks again frank great to hear from you and um, see you next time and take care